Numbers chapter 14, verse number 7. And they spake unto all the company. Of course, this is Caleb and Joshua speaking. They spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding, what's the next word? Good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. I want to preach with God's help on imagine, if you will, thinking you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Father, for the next few minutes I need your touch. I ask for your help to teach and to preach the word of God as led by your spirit. Help me not to miss it, but to convey it exactly how you've laid it upon my heart as guided by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine if you will. Now, before I build upon my title and thought surrounding the title, let me give you the context for what led up to this moment in this little speech that Joshua and Caleb found themselves delivering to the people of Israel. And I'm going to give you a brief overview for sake of time, but for leading up to Numbers 14, verses 7 and 8, you could go back, and if you want to take notes, you can take notes and go study yourself. But in Numbers chapter 13, in verses 1 through 20, we find the mission of the spies. Moses sends 12 spies one from each of the tribes of Israel, to scout the land of Canaan, which God has promised to the Israelites. Their mission is to assess the land and its inhabitants. And then if you move on to verses 21 through 33, you see the report of the spies. After exploring the land for 40 days, the spies return. They bring back samples of the land's produce, confirming its fertility and blessings. However, ten of the spies report that the inhabitants are strong and that the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, they didn't come back saying what Joshua and Caleb said, that the land is good. They came back terrifying everybody of the land. They expressed doubt and fear about the ability to conquer the land despite its riches and blessings. And then, of course, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 14, we see the reaction of the Israelites. The negative, or the Bible called it the evil report, spreads fear and despair among the Israelites. And they complain against Moses and Aaron God's chosen leaders expressing regret for leaving Egypt and even discussing the selection of a new leader to return to Egypt. And that's what brings us to the context of the verse that we just read. I want you to understand that it took a lot of faith for Joshua and Caleb to not allow the evil report to permeate their own spirit, to permeate their own mind. There was two out of 12 that refused to buy into the 
fear and terror tactics of the people and the other ten that went with them. They no doubt were a Baptist church because if they took a vote, the doubting got their way. Amen. And the majority doubted. And you know that the majority rules in the average Baptist church. That's why I actually don't think that voting is technically biblical, but I understand the legal reasons why we do it. And so we put up with it because of those reasons. But anytime a church operates not in faith, but in fear of the people, The church never goes anywhere. They spin in the same circle for decades until the church dies. Are you with me? Say amen. And so Joshua and Caleb dared to simply believe God. And they were not the majority so far as a people count and a vote was concerned. But they represented the heart and voice of God's promise. And so they were right even when the majority disagreed with them and so here they are essentially saying imagine if you will they're trying to break the patterns of doubt the evil imaginations of the people's thought processes that caused them to imagine worst case scenario why are churches today making decisions based upon worst-case scenarios. If it goes wrong, this is what could happen, so let's do nothing. And that's exactly what they end up is doing nothing while the majority of their neighbors end up going to hell. But Jacob and uh, rather Joshua and Caleb are saying, imagine what could be don't, don't 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 entertain the idea that it will fail because god has already promised that if we'll obey his word and we'll delight in him that he will give us the desires of our heart because we were are desiring him and you can't desire him and have ill desires amen and so the reason he can give you the desires of your heart as you delight in him is because when you delight in him you desire what he desires you want to glorify him with your life you want to live by faith and not by sight are you with me say amen and so they are painting a beautiful portrait of a bright future as if they will dare to simply believe god and i want to give you the positive elements of their report for just a few minutes if you will allow me I I want to break the pattern of the evil report I want to disrupt hell's newscast uh, that has permeated the spirit of the church for too long and I want to tell you not only what is possible but what is probable for those and what is guaranteed for those that will simply believe God that we don't have to take no for an answer that we don't have to just sit around and twiddle our thumbs till Jesus comes and never make a difference for Jesus we don't have to be the average and ordinary church that can't touch the next generation I I refuse to accept that ideology I refuse to accept that evil report that it's going to cost too much it's going to be too hard there's going to be too conflicts and there's going to be too many people that oppose hogwash with all of that I choose to believe God God, and I want to tell you why right here within our text. Amen. Thought I was going to teach. Here we go. But in this moment of crisis, Joshua, the son of Nun, 
and Caleb's son of Jephunneh, who were among the spies, stand out by giving a minority report, which is what God called a good report. It was good because it was godly. And it was good because it was what God had already declared. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So they try to counter the fear and rebellion of the people by highlighting the goodness of the land and affirming their faith in God's promise. They urge the Israelites not to rebel against God and to trust that God will bring them into this land flowing with milk and honey. But before I get into this, I want to understand something. That Canaan land in the Old Testament is not not a typology of of heaven for us but a typology of the victorious Christian life for the New Testament believer I know it's not a typology of heaven because in Canaan land they still had to fight their battles and how many of you know when we go to heaven there will be no more battles to fight amen just because God tells you to do something doesn't mean that it won't require more battles I know that where God guides, He provides. I know that where God leads, He uh, uh, feeds. But I also know that along the way there will be persecutions, there will be opposition, and Satan don't care if you live in Canaan land as long as you stop living when you get there. Just give up. He wants you to live a miserable Christian existence. And the best way he can do that is uh, live rent-free in your mind, feeding you all the negative evil reports and all, all the why you shouldn't do this and why you can't do that, even though God has already said, go, and I will be with you. Amen. Amen. So here we go. I'm talking about imagine, if you will. Number one, imagine a land of abundance. In Numbers 14 and 7 and 8, our opening text, they describe Canaan as a land flowing with milk and honey, symbolizing richness and fertility. For the New Testament church, I could compare that, to, for example, to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, uh, the things the Gentiles see. What shall we eat? What are we going to wear? How are we going to be clothed? He said that's all those things that lost heathen bunch worry about all the time because they don't have a relationship with me. But he said, if you'll seek me first uh, and my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll take care of all that other stuff. If you can get it right in your heart, and in your spirit, God can get it right in the monetary things of life's sustenance. Yes, He will. Imagine experiencing not the blessings you can muster up in the energy of your own religious flesh, but an unending tap into the flow of God's abundant supply as you walk out your faith with Him. Imagine what God... 
God will do if you will let go of your life and your will and your way and your process and your procedure and let God be God. Imagine saying, I don't know how He's going to do it, but we're going to step out in faith and we're going to watch God put land beneath our feet before it ever hits the ground. Amen. I'm wanting somebody in this house to get a hold of some faith and trust God for the impossible and quit doubting and quit living in the land of doubt and fear because you'll never go anywhere with God because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. In fact, God's offended by the average Christian's doubt today. What kind of an insult is it to God that we would not obey Him by faith? He said, well, we don't have it to obey Him. He knew that before He ever asked you. It's called faith. Amen. You ever, has God ever asked you to do anything you couldn't do? If He hadn't, He hadn't been talking to you. Because when God gets ready to do something, he'll, He wants something that you and Him have to co-labor together with. Amen. Because if you could do it, why would you need God? Amen. See, faith reaches beyond the realm of your possibilities. And, and as long as people operate within what they can see, they can predict, they can control, they have some measure of foresight into based upon past performance, uh, we're still operating in the energy of the flesh and of doubt of mind. But God is the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we've got to get our thinking up if we're going to have the Canaan land experience as a church and as individual believers. So imagine a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not preaching what some have termed the prosperity gospel in that if you'll just give your life to Jesus, He'll make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. But I am preaching that God will provide if you will trust Him. Whatever that looks like for you. And by the way, uh, uh, what I need may be different than what you need. And he's fully able and uh, capable of meeting each of our specific needs and each of our specific moments in life. It's not about how much we can accumulate wealth-wise. It's not about how many riches we can accumulate in the earth. It's about tapping into heaven's uh, uh, heartbeat. Amen. Uh, finding out the will of God. Uh, you remember when the tax collectors came uh, to collect taxes of Jesus and the disciples uh, and that particular day Jesus told Peter I tell you what go fish uh, and the first fish that you pull out of the lake uh, is going to have a piece of money in it with that pay our taxes. Uh, Jesus lives so in the raw real time presence uh, of the voice of his heavenly father he didn't worry a second ahead of his mission. He knew that by the time he got to where God told him to walk that what he needed would be met, meet him right there. Are you hearing me? I'm preaching about a God, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees, uh, and because he sees, he provides according to what he sees that you need. Do you think, he said, your heavenly father knoweth that you had need of all these things before you ask. Oh, but we treat God like a mean, sadistic old man up in heaven that's clenching his fist tight and, and will not bless us, so we have to do for our own. When are you going to understand that God would give you as much as you would ever need if you'd just set your heart out to follow after him? Believe God. Trust 
God, imagine what it would look like to live by faith and not by sight. Imagine the land of abundance. I'm talking about if you need peace, He'll give you peace. If you need joy, He'll give you joy. If you need a healing, He'll give you healing. And yes, if you need a piece of money, He'll give you that too. I'm talking about not just a piece of the pie, but the whole package. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who are we to insult God with something? such puny prayers and puny acts of what we call faith, which is not faith at all if it's predictable and controllable within our own means. Amen. Imagine a land of abundance. Number two, imagine fruitful evidence. Listen, in fact, let me, let me rephrase that a little bit. Let's observe the fruitful evidence evidence that we have already you know what God does sometimes not because we are so great in our faith but because we're so immature sometimes uh, he'll 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 ride on his own faith and he'll bless us just to teach us to graduate us from one level of faith to the next we do move from faith to faith the Bible teaches and from glory to glory let's look at some fruit Amen. Think about all the times you just simply trusted God because you had no other option. You say, well, that's the reason I trust Him because I had no other option. Well, that's because God knows the frame we're made of. He said, I suffered you to hunger so that you might know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. God said, I'm going to have to put you in an environment where I, I need to see how you're going to operate when you have nobody to turn to but me. And how long will you stick with me before you start violating your conscience? Before you start disobeying the word and losing your character to fight, to climb the corporate ladder? How long will you suffer hunger uh, uh, and wait on the Lord versus fixing it yourself through some uh, means that's going to get you in trouble with God because you had to sin to do it? How long will you trust the Lord? I'm afraid that some of us, when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and, and we're going to be disappointed because uh, we're going to be like the unfaithful steward. We were given much, uh, but we did little to nothing with it because uh, we operated in a spirit of faith and not in sight. But I want you to see the grapes this morning. I want you to see what's possible. Look around you. There's people in this building this morning that have been saved and baptized and joined the church that were not here two and a half years ago. Amen. And I'm not bragging on me, but I'm telling you a story. Facts. When we moved here, we knew that it would cost us. But we did it because God said do it. Amen. And I want you to see the fruit of a faith walk. I'm living proof that if you'll trust God, God will fight your battles and make your land fruitful. Amen. And I refuse to do it any other way but a faith journey. Amen. But let me tell you something. As, my, as your pastor, I want you to see the fruits of living by faith and not by sight. Had we disobeyed the voice of the Lord, could he have raised someone else? Sure, he could have, but I'd have missed out on it. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad there are many in this town now that are saved by the grace of God because I obeyed the voice of God 
And, and my goodness, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands we preach to every Sunday morning because God hooked me up with a man that pays our radio bill. I mean, I didn't see that coming when I moved to Thompson, Georgia. I didn't see a lot of what's coming. But I'm telling you, God blesses a faith walk. That's the fruit. That's the evidence. And I'm telling you as a church that if you will join with me in faith and if you will take faith steps bigger than you ever have before, that God will also give you your heart's desire if your desire is to see God grow his church and reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ amen I have evidence I thought about the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir many of you heard the the story of them uh, many many years ago I guess three or four decades ago brother Jim Symbola was sent to Brooklyn New York to plant a church uh, or to take a small struggling church I forget exactly how their humble beginnings were uh, but now they have thousands attending and they have won a world renowned choir a lot of them are saved off the streets ex-prostitutes ex-druggies and now they're saved by the grace of God singing beautifully and they're ministering to millions around the world through their music because somebody had enough faith to go to a place that couldn't even support him financially but God said go so he went and now look what God's done because he led a people into a faith walk with God but a church and a pastor is a partnership and I want to challenge this church to think bigger in every area and ask God Lord what do you want to do and what is our next step of not sight but faith look at the grapes thought about Peace Haven Baptist Church little storefront building out in the middle of Yadkin County North Carolina they start, started a little storefront church I'm talking about out in the middle of a cornfield. Amen. And the name of the road it was on was Booger Swamp Road. But the people that formed the church originally, they had about 30 members, charter members, and they were hungry for God. Most of them broken and disgusted by man-made religion back in that time. Hurt by churches that insisted on doing it a religious way that was recreated by men but had nothing to do with Bible. So they got hungry and said, well, we just pray that God will send us a man. They called Brother Bruce Freeman. Brother Bruce Freeman became my pastor for many years. I love and respect that man to this day. I'm praying about having him come preach a revival for us sometime in the future. But they started digging in and believing God uh, got, people started getting saved left and right the people were so hungry they were inviting people they formulated people, uh, teams of people some were prayer warriors some were calling people on the phone inviting them just going down through the phone book say this is so and so from Peace Haven Baptist Church we just wondered if you had a church home if not we'd love to invite you and believe it or not some of them started showing up and then others would go out and visit and sometimes they'd come across somebody that was already called so they'd been called now they'd been visited so they started coming and some 
of them started to end up getting saved. And before you know it, uh, you had a synergy of soul winners. Uh, and that church grew uh, uh, to several hundred just within a, a few short years. Uh, uh, at the time of my joining, uh, they were at about 300. They moved into a new facility. And within just a few months, they were topping at 800, looking at building another building crazy wow imagine if you will a church sold out to living by faith and not by sight say god i this going to feel stupid because it don't make no sense on paper it don't make no sense psychologically but i'm going to do what you said do and i'm going to pursue what you said do and i want to trust you to give us some results just uh just follow god Amen. But I've learned this. A church has got to want to grow if they're going to see growth. Now, if you're happy with your pew, and all church is to you as a religious Sunday morning routine, this message ain't for you. You need to go find a church where you can be happy just sitting on a pew. Amen. No, I didn't say amen to that. I ain't going to throw nobody under the bus. I don't know. I'm not pointing fingers at any particular church. I'm talking about a philosophy of ministry. If you want to see God work in your life personally, get plugged in and be obedient in your local church and ask God, how can I contribute to the growth of your kingdom through Washington Heights Baptist Church? Amen. Get busy. Don't wait on the next program or the next invite. Find out what God wants you to do and get busy doing it. You don't need my permission to follow orders from the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'll fan your flame. I know we're fixing to start a program because we like programs and sometimes they work if we're working right. But I would a whole lot rather have people that do it by default, naturally, lifetime, lifestyle evangelism than to have to force people into a program they don't want to do to participate in to start with. Amen. And I hope that those that, that do sign up will do it with a pure heart and a desire to serve God. Uh, and this is be a, give us a good way by which we can give instruction, and I'm all for it, and I thank God for it. But let me tell you, you've got to imagine it in your heart before you ever see it in reality. You've got to have a hunger and a thirst and a desire to see the grapes of Canaan land for yourself and for this church. I would say that the fruit and the grapes would be when people start getting saved and delivered from drugs and alcohol and old sorry daddies, God taking them and making real men out of them and leading their family in the things of the Lord. Wouldn't that be a revival worth experiencing? Wouldn't that be a revival worth seeing in this community? And I'm ta- imagine, if you will, a church so on fire for God that no, we no longer see color. We no longer see ethnical bounds, but we just see people washed in the blood of Jesus and we care only for one to be lifted up and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Imagine, if you will, having a building program problem. Have so many people, we don't even know where to put them. Brother, I want to tell you about another evidence of what God can do. Brother E.J. Lanham came and preached one night in our Generation Next tent meeting last year and did a wonderful job. Amen. Uh, and Brother E.J., God saved him out of drugs and alcohol. Amen. Uh, just had an old sorry life, but he sold out and fell in love with Jesus and started loving on sinners. And I'm talking, he didn't go try 
try to talk other church members into joining his church. No. He went to the streets and started telling people that they need Jesus and dragging them in there. And the church is just about entirely made up of people that were never in church to start with. But somebody learned how to love them like Jesus loves him. Amen. And he started. And guess what? They just recently built a brand new building just about a year ago, I guess. Maybe less than that. I can't remember. Now they're all having to knock out a wall to make more room because it's exploding in growth. They can't build a building fast enough to keep them all. Imagine, if you will, what God could do with a church that's on fire for God and lives by faith and not by sight. And I'm telling you, that's what I'm after. And if you have a problem with that, you have the wrong preacher. But I'm not moving until God tells me to. We're not meant to sit and be happy and sit on our blessed assurance till Jesus comes. Oh, that God would set us on fire for him. Give us a burden for the lost. I thought about Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. An old pastor by the name of Bobby Robertson. Oh, thank you, good Holy Ghost, for speaking this morning to us. Brother Bobby Robertson had a seventh grade education, got saved by the grace of God, just an old farmer boy. And uh, at that time, uh, it was a, a little uh, outskirt of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They started a little church, started knocking on doors, inviting people to church. They said, door knocking don't work anymore. How would you know you've never done it lately? And I'm not trying to be critical, but I am trying to challenge your thinking. The devil tells you all kinds of things that keep you from doing what would be effective. Amen. When did we stop doing stuff because we are afraid? The church should have never, the, the church that was birthed in the fire of the Holy Ghost was birthed not out of fear but out of faith. They were not afraid to even lose their own lives. And now Christians uh, decide, they do surveys on the danger and the threat of mission field and decide if it's too dangerous, it's not for them. Where are those that will take up your cross and follow Jesus even to death if that's what it takes? Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of our service? Amen. I'm not talking about being foolish and stupid, but I am talking about having courage and being obedient to the voice of God. The, the, the sluggard says there's a lion in the street. And so he stays on his bed and don't even get up out of the house because he's making up some lame excuse. And the Holy Ghost is telling me to target our lame excuses. We got too many. You know the problem with the devil is not that he doesn't know. He's kind of like what Reagan said about the Democrats. It's not that he don't know anything. It's just he knows so much that ain't true. No, no offense to you Democrats. I thought that was a little funny. <laughs> Love you. But the devil is like that. He's got for every one truth, the word of God, the devil has a thousand counter lies. And they have turned to fables, falsified reports. The facts were that giants were in the land. But the truth was that God said, go get him. <laughs> anyway, Brother Bobby went on one by one. You ought to go look at that work now. I don't know how many they have attending today. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But at one point at their peak, I think they had over 3,000 people attending, sending and supporting missionaries all over the world. Whew. 
I went to one of their youth conferences as a teenager. I actually went to several. Sister Amy, in one of those youth conferences, I went up and made a public commitment that I would remain pure till marriage. And it was because a seventh grade education old farmer preacher that just had enough faith to believe God that he had an impact on our lives like that. And I had, I'm glad to announce to you that my oldest son just recently got married a virgin because we passed that legacy of faith and that philosophy of belief from the Word of God, from the heart of a man of God called Bobby Robertson. And that's already making a generational impact because one man had a vision to just do what God said do, and, that, and he had seen God do the impossible. I could go on and on. What about uh, Dr. Lee Robertson? who took a little church not much bigger than this one, if not the same size or less, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, many, many years ago. God started blessing their socks off, as the country preacher would say. Next thing you know, they're, they've got so many people, uh, they had to build a big outdoor tabernacle that would seat a couple thousand across the road from it to fit everybody. And didn't even have air conditioning. They didn't have the money, so they did what they could with what they had. And people came and sweat it out or froze it out. But they had church. Next thing you know, they're building Tennessee Temple University, which for uh, at least two or three decades was a thriving, booming Christian college. And they ended up with missionaries sent out from that college on every mission field in the world because one man followed God and had a church that dared believe his prophet. They didn't fight against it. They didn't become as the people that disrespected the prophet and the vision God put in his heart. But they fully supported the man of God as the man of God fully uh, preached the word of God. And because a church and a people united, they've touched the world and they're still touching the world today. And he being dead yet speak. I could go on and on. I'm telling you, imagine, if you will, the kind of church uh, that will make a difference, not just in Washington Heights Baptist Church, but what if God were to save some of these young men or some of them already saved, but what if you'd raise them up and call them to preach and they become the next flaming evangelist waking the world up for Jesus Christ? It could happen from right here if we'll dare to believe God. Imagine, if you will. I'm a dreamer and I make no apologies for it because God is the one who has the vision. We see the fruitful evidence. Amen, I must hurry. Number three. Whew, y'all going to let me have time to preach this out. All right, here we go. Number three, we got to have confidence in God's promises. That's what they had. This is the grapes. They had confidence. Joshua and Caleb displayed unwavering faith in God's promises to give them the land. And fast forward to Acts chapter 27. Paul is on a ship. They're fixing to go shipwrecked. But he said, I told him about a dream he had from the Lord. It said, it's, we're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose no life. And he made this statement, I believe God. And I want to tell you something, Washington Heights Baptist Church.
in this voyage called the Christian faith. We're going to incur some losses. But if you'll incur your losses in faith in God, God will not look at it as a loss, but as an investment into souls. And some way or another, He'll make good on your investment. Can I get an amen this morning, church? You've got to believe God. That's what Paul the Apostle said. Sirs, I believe God. God's the one who said do it, so we're going. Amen. All right, let me give you number four now. I'm about out of breath. I'm having a good time. Number four, we see uh, encouragement and reassurance. They urged the Israelites not to rebel against God and not to fear the inhabitants of the land as they would be their prey. In fact, he said they would be our bread. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I'm sure it's not cannibalism. I imagine he envisioned them giants becoming slaves to him, becoming a source of a labor force that could produce food. Why else would it say they would be our bread? It could have been metaphoric of the confidence he had that God would give them victory. Amen. Hebrews 10 teaches us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching and as we get closer to the coming of the Lord my fire does not squelch it only intensifies and if this kind of preaching makes you nervous if the level of intensity keeps increasing come back next week and you'll get a bigger dose of it than you did this week and you'll either learn to love it and get right uh, or you'll learn to hate it and find uh, somewhere where you can be comfortable and die in the wilderness with the average uh, mediocre Laodicean Christian church, amen. But I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in that program at all. We need to encourage one another and provoke one another unto love and to good works. And that's what we see they did as they cast a vision for the possibilities they pled with them and I plead with you believe God then they saw that gave a vision for victory they believed that God would help them this is number five victory, vision of victory they believed with uh, that with God's help they could certainly conquer the land that's chapter 13 and verse number 30 and I want to read to you Matthew 28 where it says go ye therefore up back up Jesus said all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth you may think you have the power you may think somebody else holding the purse strings has the power but let me tell you who has the power it's God Almighty and God will manipulate the circumstances if he needs to because he has the power to do it you just obey God and let God fight those giants that you don't have the strength to fight and let God be God and you watch and see if the mountains don't start crumbling and the giants don't start fleeing and the fruit don't start growing and you don't start dwelling in houses 
houses that you did not build and eating from vineyards that you did not plant and God will begin to send in but let me ask you a question why would God trust a church uh, with, faith, uh, with fruit produced by faith if all they have is sight to give him we want the benefits that faith has to offer without the sacrifice of faith that it requires oh I want all that but I don't want to do this to get that welcome to the kingdom honey it'll cost you everything amen I'm talking about not a crossless Christ, but a Christ on the cross who said, take up your cross and follow me. You better get the idea out of your head that it ain't going to cost you something because it is. I know salvation is free, but the kingdom will cost you everything. I don't have to do one thing to get to heaven other than put my faith in Jesus and faith and repentance. But beyond that, if I want to see God grow his kingdom, I'm going to have to invest. The Bible said of the early church that they gave first of themselves to the Lord. They didn't have nothing else to give but themselves, so that's what they gave. And God honored it. He said, well, we don't have much. God ain't asking for any more than you do have. I'm not worried about whether we're giving God more than what we have. I'm asking, have we even given God what we do have? God's, hey, that little lad had to give his five loaves and two fish, right? That's all he had. And by the way, who are you to tell God that five loaves and two fish won't work? Who am I to tell God that my little bit in his hands can't do it? So you go ahead and hold on to your stuff telling God it won't work while somebody else will go and get the kingdom because they gave him his heart. I don't know about you, but I want to find out what, exactly how God can, can grow it. I want to find out how big God will make it because I gave him my little bit. I don't have much to offer, but he's, he's what I've offered. And he'll see what you offer. And my hat's off to those of you who have given sacrificially and faithfully and lovingly to the work of the Lord and to His church. But this is a clarion call to the entire body of Christ at Washington Heights and beyond. Amen. Don't leave. It. Don't hold nothing back. Give it all and watch God do something. That is what we should imagine God using. Amen. Vision of victory. I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff excites me. <laughs> All right, so I've got to close. And so what we're going to do now is look at their response to this imagine, if you will, message that Caleb and Joshua were preaching to them. This is their response. Numbers 14.10 uh, the people responded, and despite Joshua and Caleb's encouraging report, the congregation refuses to be swayed. They talk of stoning Joshua and Caleb, completely rejecting their call to faith and trust in God. That was quite an opposite reaction. And I've never been stoned, but I've had rocks metaphorically thrown at me. 
for just doing what I'm doing right now. Being obedient to the Lord. I'm sorry if my obedience offends you so. Go ahead and throw another rock. Got a bag full of them, but you know what I'm going to do this morning? I'm going to lay them at the altar. I'm going to say, God, you didn't have these rocks. I'm tired of carrying them. And I won't give them no heed. They can threaten me all they want. Amen. They can try to hurt me all they want. But I'm going to obey God. I'm going to fan the flame of anybody else that will. Amen. Go ahead and throw them rocks. But let me tell you something, honey. You're not fighting me. You're fighting the Holy Ghost. And you'll lose that battle. Anytime you make a move, not for but against God's man. You're fighting a fight with God, and God will win the battle. Divine intervention is found in verses 10 through 12. At this point, the glory of the Lord appears at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites, and God expresses his frustration with the people's lack of faith and threatens to disinherit them and strike them with a plague. But Moses intervenes in verses 13 through 19 and intercedes on behalf of Israel, pleading with God to forgive their sin according to the greatness of his steadfast love. And you pray for your pastor that when people do throw rocks, uh, that God will give me the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them. Amen. Uh, uh, for they know not what to do. Sometimes I wonder if they actually do know what they're doing, but I still want to have that heart that Jesus had uh, to just forgive them and let justice be between them and God. And you need to have that kind of prayer and heart when people and Satan attacks you as well. Amen, because I'm not a no fool. I know that people, uh, if, if certain people stand against the pastor, they're also going to stand against those that stand with the pastor. And pressure's put on. And before you know it, you have a majority living in fear instead of faith. Then we see God's judgment, verses 20 through 24. God pardons the Israelites as per Moses' request, but declares that none of the adults who came out of Egypt will see the promised land except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. And this is because of their rebellion and lack of faith, except those two who had a different spirit and followed God fully. And then we see the consequences. I'm trying to hurry. Numbers 14, 36 through 38, and then verses 33 and 34. The ten spies who spread the negative report are struck down and die of a plague before the Lord. The Israelites are then told they will wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation that doubted God's promise has passed away, fulfilling the time they scouted the land one year for each day because they couldn't catch the vision that God had for that land. They spied it for 40 days. They, they beheld the grapes for 40 days. They beheld the lushness, the milk and the honey that flowed for 40 days. God cast a vision to them. And the number 40 is always a number of judgment in the Bible. You study your Bible and it's a number of judgment. And God's spirit will not always strive with man. At some point God says it's enough. I've spoken to this hard-hearted, hard-headed bunch of people longer than I should have to start with because they're never going to listen to 
matter what signs I send them, no matter what fruit I produce in front of them. Jesus said, if you don't believe me uh, for what I say, believe me for the very work's sake. But they're so hard-headed. They're so hard-hearted that God said, I'm going to let them uh, uh, suffer for each day a year for their rebellion. And I see Ichabod wrote over many a church today because at some point, some devil-filled, deacon-led committee that ain't following the book uh, thought it was their job to uh, control the preacher against the Word of God, against the Spirit of God. And now that church is dead, uh, if not already closed, because they didn't do it by the book. Uh, Amen. And I want to charge this church this morning that you better be about the Father's business above all else. And don't expect your deacons or any other leadership in this church to raise up a rebellion against me, the pastor, because it will not end well for you. And I didn't even plan on saying that. But I see it in the text. And I'm telling you, God wants to do great work. And we better just get on the plan with the Holy Ghost. See, well, I ain't never heard no preaching like that. They, he just lost his mind. Has it ever occurred to you that what God's doing around here is unusual? It may be unusual, but if I'm in the book, you better give it the credibility that it deserves. I'm going to close with Ephesians 1. Imagine if you will. Now that's your heeding. That's your caution. That's your warning. Pray that God helps each of us respond wholeheartedly to the heartbeat of God for a vibrant church that can make an impact in this lost world to the fullest extent of God's desire. Ephesians 1.15 is your, your encouragement now. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Did y'all hear that? That you may know what is the hope of his calling, not the hurt of his calling. But the hope, well, if, you, if we go to doing things the way God tells you, there ain't no telling what God's having. That's the point. I want to hear the fresh voice of God that disrupts man-made religious systems that have done nothing but bury the gospel under a bushel. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I say he's at the top and he forever more shall remain at the top. 
and everything and everybody is under his feet. And if you claim to be born again and a member of this church, you are a member of the body of Christ, and a body can't go a different direction than its head. Amen. Woo, ain't we having a time? Imagine, if you will, a sold-out, faith-filled congregation that is unified with the vision of God for its ministry to reach all that we can at all costs possible. Let's see what God will do with our little rag and rock. Let's see what God will do with our little bit. You say, we're not a big church, Brother Gary. We can't do much. You let God decide how much he can do with your little church. Amen. But you give it all to him and then watch him work. It's called faith, and it will not work if you don't have it. I'm afraid that this generation has learned how to have church whether God shows up or not, and I don't want that kind of church, and neither should you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Stand with me in the presence of the Lord. Joe, come play a song on the piano. We're going to lay these cards out in the altar. And if you want to come and commit to joining this whole winning class, amen, just come pray and take this card to your seat, fill it out, and give it to Brother Ron, amen, at the end of service, and let him know that you're interested. But more important than that even is if there's anything in your heart that you've sinned against God and that the Holy Spirit's pointed out to you that has been opposed to the voice and word and will of God for this church. And it's not been in faith, it's been in fear. The Holy Spirit's dialing your name, dialing your number. I want to ask you to come and just take it before the Lord. You don't have to confess it before me unless the Lord tells you to. You don't have to confess it before the church unless the Lord tells you to. But you do have to come to Him and get rid of that doubt if you want to see God maximize the potential of this church and this ministry before Jesus comes or calls each of us home. Let's have an altar call, church, for a few more minutes. If you need to slip on out, you've got other things to do, and you don't have to make things right with God because you're good. You slip on out quietly if you need to. But if you need to meet with God, would you come? I want to ask those of you who are right with God, that are hungry for God, that are right with me, that you come and pray and seek the face of God and ask God to breathe on this ministry that the dead bones would come to life that the dry bones would come up out of the ground and that God would raise up an exceeding great and mighty army that we could uh, we could uh, with the help of the Lord see God do great things through amen yes look at all the young people come and praise the Lord church some of the some of the uh, elders are coming. Amen. Some of, hey, we all need to be on our knees. If you need to pray there in your seat, you can sit down. You can get on your knees there at your bench. But let's seek the Lord this morning. Imagine, if you will, God has so much in store, but He's not going to force it on us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I've done my best to be precisely obedient to you even to my own level of discomfort but Lord you saw let the record reflect I said it anyway and Lord I'm at your mercy 
I pray that those that might have rocks in their fist will drop their rocks and just surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Word and say we need to follow, find and follow the heartbeat of God and whatever God says do, we need to do whatever God says give, we need to give wherever God says go, we need to go Father, this generation that's coming up I see young men that are coming and surrendering their hearts and lives to you. And, Lord, they're already wanting you to use them. And, God, they're, they're, they're imagining with us what it would look like to be used of God in a way that would bring God maximum glory. I rejoice in that. Oh, Father, may this be an environment in which that, that atmosphere can grow exponentially under the direction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Oh, Father, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness by which we shall be filled. God, empty us of ourselves. Wash us in your blood. Forgive us of our old, dirty, filthy, rotten attitudes and our sins. Uh, purge us. Uh, create within us a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within us, God, uh, so that we might behold uh, the wondrous works of God. And we'll be careful to thank you. And we'll be careful to praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody shout amen.